welcome to JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and other former members of high control groups and religions rebuild their lives, take back control of their destiny, and become the people they were always supposed to be. So, welcome back to the Forwardcast. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a special episode today. It's actually going to be two special episodes. Um, my name's Covert Fade, first of all, and I'm going to be joined shortly by Alice Cheshire. And we both uh, recently had the privilege of viewing the new film Apostasy uh, from writer-director Daniel Cocatilo. Um He's a former Jehovah's Witness, and the film essentially looks at the lives of three Jehovah's Witness women as they go through um, some pretty testing and difficult circumstances um, in their personal lives. Um, the film is excellent. It's been getting rave reviews. It's available um, to, if you're in the US, you can get it through iTunes. Uh, in the UK, it's on general release, so you can see it. If you check out the Curzon cinema chain, you can catch it in Curzon. I think it might be going on wider release as well. And if you go to curzonhome.com, you can stream it from there. But um, Alice and myself were really impressed with the film. So although this podcast doesn't usually sort of review um, films to do with Jehovah's Witnesses as as part of what we do, um, we really wanted to make an exception for this because this film is so accurate to the JW experience, but is also so well made that it really does feel like something that would be genuinely useful to a Jehovah's Witness who is going through the process of you know, waking up from religious indoctrination and, and kind of putting their life back together. I think it's a very, a very helpful thing to process your own experiences as a former Jehovah's Witness to see this film. Um, it's a very validating thing, but it's also fascinating in its own right. So Alice and I are going to discuss it. There's actually going to be two podcasts. In the first podcast, which is the one you're listening to right now, we're going to discuss things in a non-spoilery way. So we're not going to talk about specific plot details or specific events that take place in the film. We're going to talk very generally about the, the themes that are raised and the JW experience. And in the second podcast, which is going to follow shortly, we are going to tackle um, things that are spoilers. Um, so if you didn't like knowing that, you know, Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father, that uh, Rosebud was a sled, or that Kaiser Soze was the name on the bottom of a coffee cup, you may want to avoid the second podcast until you've seen the film Apostasy, which I highly recommend you see, both as an XJW and as a film fan. So sit back, grab some popcorn, and uh, take a listen to myself and Alice discuss Apostasy by Daniel Cocatilo. So, Alice, could you discuss basically kind of how did you feel before you um, went to see the film? Were, were you excited? Were you apprehensive? I've So this has been, you know, you've been seeing increasing sort of um, news about this on social media over the past few weeks and months. In the past couple of weeks, it's been getting to a bit of a fever pitch because um, the director, Daniel, has been... Um, going around the country doing lots of preview screenings. So, you know, it's been kind of slowly building in our consciousness over the past few weeks and months. And I really have to admit that when I was on my way to see it, when I was, you know, getting on the train and and heading into London, I was excited to see it, but there was also a little part of me that was very nervous. And I think the reason for that is because for so many years, I um, tried to not think about the world that I'd left behind. I tried to kind of push it away and sort of minimize um, the impact of what it had on me because, you know, for, for, for so many years, it's been really difficult trying to explain exactly what um, being in the JW faith and then leaving the JW faith, you know, the impact that it's had on me. So it's been easier not to try. So there was part of me that was quite worried because I felt like I was finally going to be confronting a lot of that stuff. And in a very emotive way, you know, the reviews that I'd already read had said that it it was, you know, incredibly emotional. Um, You know, it was a real sort of sucker punch kind of film. And so there was part of me that was apprehensive. And I was thinking, I want to see this film. But at the same same time, I'm not really sure if I'm ready to see this film. Yeah, I had um, some quite similar thoughts because like yourself, the the reviews that came back on some of the main words that come out of it are, gripping and moving and um, heart-wrenching. 
And so, especially when it's it's going to be combined with, I mean, those are reviews coming just from mainstream media critics who don't have a deep attachment to that, you know, the JW aspect of it. So I was also um, anticipating, but also feeling a little bit scared as to what I was going to what I was going to see. I think one of the nice things is I had seen lots of interviews with the director Daniel Cocoteo. I think I've got his name right there, mm-hmm. um, and and he he came across as someone who was very clearly. Um, he was very clearly interested in telling an emotionally honest story. And we'll get into this a bit later, but he clearly wasn't interested in doing a hatchet job on Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, And a lot of the reviews that I saw actually mentioned this is a very fair and balanced film, which I would agree with and we'll we'll probably touch on later. Um, So I I got to the the Soho Curzon and there was kind of quite a crowd of people there. Um, and I, we all kind of ended up sort of filing into the screening and, um, there was a few other people I sort of, I've spotted in you. So I knew there were quite a lot of XJWs there, but, um, at one point, um, they asked everyone to raise their hand if there were an XJW. Were you surprised, Alice, when I would say probably about half of the screening hands went up? I think it was at least half. Um, and, and to be honest, I wasn't surprised. Because that was the kind of, apart from anything, I, you know, from, from conversations I've had with other people over social media, I knew that lots of people from the XJW community were attending. And also, there was a, there was a vibe there. There was a vibe. You could, you could tell people were milling around beforehand and, and, and talking and, and, you know, introducing themselves and perhaps people who'd only sort of talked over social media beforehand and that it was it was a lot different from walk if you walk into a normal film to see a normal film in a normal cinema you know everyone mm. kind of sits and keeps themselves to themselves whereas this had a very different vibe <laughs> in all honesty and I can't believe I'm going to say this it was a little bit like being at a circuit assembly because <laughs> um you you know everyone was milling around everybody was talking and then what was really funny was that at the end of the film so the film obviously finished then we had this amazing Q&A with the director and then then you know it was, it was time to leave and um, nobody left. Everybody yeah. stood around talking. And it was almost like the, the cinema staff were looking around saying, why aren't these people leaving? What, are they in some kind of a club? Which I thought was ironic. Are they in some kind of a cult? Like, why, why aren't they going anywhere? <laughs> they eventually kicked us out of the screen because they had another screening coming in. And then we all milled around in the foyer. And I looked around and thought, God, you can tell we're ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. Look at us. We're still acting like we're at a circuit assembly. Yeah. It, it, it rather tickled me. Getting flashbacks of when I was in attendance at district conventions, like asking brothers to leave because you know we just could not stop them talking. Yeah, yeah it was exactly. it was it was quite amusing. Um, so, what was just talking about? We'll come to the specifics of kind of the issues and and the actual specifics of the film in a minute. But so you had this, and I think we both had this kind of nervous, excited anticipation before the film started. Kind of at the end, what was your kind of emotional experience watching the film? How did how did it impact you going through? I think I think the first thing that really hit me was the accuracy of it. Um, not not just so so in the words that were spoken, but also the feel of the film, um, the the feel of um, how people dressed, yeah. the feel of how how the, how it felt to be in the Kingdom Hall, the way that people interacted with each other. You know this this and 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 the mutedness of it. You know, this wasn't a Hollywood blockbuster. This wasn't something that was, you know, lots of dramatic music and, and you know, really going for the, for the dramatic moments. It was understated almost. And in some ways, I think one of the things I felt, ho- I, I found the most difficult about the film was how accurate it was and seeing it from the outsider's point of view. I haven't been, you know, I haven't been to a, a JW meeting for quite some time and it transported me back into that world not only in the meetings but also you know this family and their day-to-day life and how they interacted with each other and how they spoke to each other and about how the the the, the religion pervades every single part of their life um and it was a highly highly emotional film for me i mean there are also parts of it which you know are absolutely uh you know kick you in the gut um to, to the point that i was actually in tears for most of the film partly because of what was actually happening in the film, but also just being back in that world. And, and there was also, so when, when we came to the end of the film, I don't really know exactly how to describe this. I don't think vindicated is the right word, but maybe some kind of validation that actually 
I'm not mad. It was that bad. You know, it, I've been I've been trying to explain to people for years what it's like growing up in that world and living in that world. And I sometimes feel, have I been, you know, am I am I exaggerating this? Am I, you know, adding to it? But actually just seeing from the outside, yes, that's exactly what it was like. And yes, it was awful. So at the end of it, I was drained. I was highly emotional. I was absolutely exhausted. I was in tears, but also really, really impressed and also so grateful to Daniel for bringing this story, um, you know, to, to us as XJWs, but also to the masses. Uh, I, I think it's, mm. you know, it, it was absolutely spot on and it's going to be such an educational tool as well as an incredible piece of drama. Yeah, and it's an interesting point you make and we're going to discuss this in a minute about the reaction from um, the general public and from the general media. And I've actually got some reviews that I've, I've um, saved. I'm, I'm going to highlight some quotes from because one of the things that's been fascinating for me is obviously I have certain takeaways from it because I, you know, I'm a former Jehovah's Witness and I have links to that world. But some of the things that the other reviews have picked up on are things that never really occurred to me. But it's fascinating to see people from the outside pick up on almost because they've got an extra layer of detachment. They're surprised by things which I just took for granted. Mm. Um, and we'll get onto that in a minute as well. I mean, my own reaction was similar. I mean, that I was watching it. There were moments where I was laughing because um, because something is like hits so close to home. It kind of and, and and there's one line without spoiling it. Someone talks about having a window cleaning round, and then like half the cinema just starts laughing, and the other half who clearly didn't understand why everyone was laughing. Um, there are other moments where characters act in a certain way where I was just like cringing down in my seat because I I've been there and done that. Um, there's, you know, there's an attempt to informally witness, which is just so cringe-inducingly awkward mm, that you can yeah. tell it's driven from that desire of I, I need to say something, I need to make a stand for Jehovah, and because you can simultaneously see from the, the point of view of the witness why, of course, you do that, but from the point of view of everyone else, how just cringe-inducingly awkward it is. Um, I was like just cratered down in my seat, kind of with watching it, watching it through my fingers. Um, and I think I had a very similar sense of um, catharsis is the wrong word, I think, for me, because it, it, I, I, I didn't go I didn't go through it. I mean, it's a very, very emotional film. I tend not to cry at films, so I wasn't crying. Um, but I was definitely, you know how sometimes when the end titles come up at the end, the cinema's quiet? Mm. as opposed to noise and this yeah. is this is a very different thing but you know uh, this is a completely different movie and for very different reasons but if you've ever seen the movie saving private ryan the first 10 minutes of that are absolutely shell shocking and then at the end of that this um, it goes into another part of the film but the audience is quiet and you can actually tell that everyone's I remember the first time i saw that everyone was just reeling in a very different way in apostasy the emotional punch of it is is a, by the end the audience is quiet not because they're traumatized, but because it's the kind of film that just makes you sit there and you, you need to like soak in what you've seen and process mm. it. It's very, very powerful. Um, so I thought what we could do now is get onto some non-spoiler discussion about specific things, some, some of the themes that are in apostasy, and also some of the things that they really do, you know, the actual details that they get so right that make it such an authentic and interesting watch for former Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I'd like to start with the Kingdom Hall. Alice, have you ever mm. been in a Kingdom Hall like that? <laughs> I grew up in a kingdom hall like that. I went to a kingdom hall like that, you know, three times a week or no, twice a week for the best part of, you know, 25 years of my life. Um, what was, and, and I think, I think this was part of what was the emotional part of the emotional punch for me was that it could have been my kingdom hall. Um, mm. Everything was spot on down to the colors that we used, down to the chairs uh, that we used down to the fact that when somebody got up to stand on the platform and give a talk, uh, another brother would come up and arrange the microphone for him. You know, all those little, those little tiny details. Um, at one point, you know, you're, you're inside these halls and a, a sister is carrying, um, you know, her, her Bible and her books and whatever. And she has a, um, a kingdom ministry folder, mm -hmm. uh, one of the sort of colorful ones that was produced for a while. And I had that kingdom ministry folder. I had that very kingdom ministry folder. And so the, the, and the little details there were just so accurate that you were just transported back into when I was going to, to meetings as a, you know, fully in JW. 
And it was fascinating because I, I remember, I mean, I had a similar reaction. It's like that, that Kingdom Hall was creepily accurate. And I remember seeing in trailers when, when this film was first starting to get trailed, I was looking at thinking, did, I was wondering how they managed to get inside a Kingdom Hall. And apparently, according to interviews with, uh, with Daniel um, Cocoteo, that is a real Kingdom Hall. The, what's happening is, is um, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society at the moment are selling lots of their Kingdom Halls. Um, and if you're interested in why, you can, for example, check out um, Lloyd Evans on his John Cedars channels just done a very in-depth video as to what's actually going on with all these Kingdom Hall sales. But the, the upshot of it is this Kingdom Hall had just been sold and bought by people who wanted to turn it into a cafe. And so the production crew were able to jump in just as this, just before it became a cafe and get in there and film it. Now, and apparently they didn't have any furniture because all the furniture and the guts had been ripped out. Um, I mean, I, and what they one avenue um, one avenue they tried to do to get furniture. Apparently, there was another Kingdom Hall nearby that was still a KH, but they were selling off all their furniture. And the production company made like approaches to the local Jehovah's Witnesses to try and buy their furniture. Um, and apparently, it all fell through at the last minute that they weren't <laughs> able to get it. And then, then later on, the witnesses found out who they were. So, of course, they're never going to get the furniture off them then. But it was like you could almost say Jehovah provided a Kingdom Hall at the um, the appropriate time. So, yeah, and. The, the reason I can, I can just imagine the, the the second kingdom hall with the you know trying to sell the furniture and then all of a sudden they realized where that furniture was got going and it was like back away back away yeah. abort abort aruga, aruga. danger <laughs> robinson danger apostates apostates yeah. oh it's just so funny but the kingdom hall itself i think one of the nice visual motifs and um and it, it's a film that, although it has a very like non-stylized appearance, well, actually, no, I think it does have a very stylized appearance, but it's a very subtle and um, it, it's not like an overblown appearance. But one of the nice Ooh. visual motifs is that the Kingdom Hall is set next to a free um, a motorway, so you see traffic going back and forth in the background. And, and one of the motifs that apparently that was deliberate because it was it enabled to show how the Jehovah's Witnesses are standing still and stationary whilst the world around them is moving and developing and evolving and they're kind of static. And it was a very nice visual motif that um, it, originally it wasn't intended to be there, but when they saw the location and they saw this contrast, apparently they, the, the production crew were like, that's a really nice visual motif that illustrates how the Witnesses are kind of detached from the rest of society and they're standing still whilst, you know, whilst the rest of the world is moving forward. Mm. Mm. I didn't even like I, I don't think I was uh you know um aware of that but looking at it now and, and I think one of the you know one of the um shots in the trailer is mm. of the Kingdom Hall uh, and I think um the main uh character Ivana is standing in the, the door of the Kingdom Hall and you can see all that traffic going past and it, it thinking about it now it is a it is a really lovely um it's a really lovely visual tool to 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 explain and, and try I think try to explain to um perhaps people who aren't JWs mm. just that feeling of what it's like being in the JW faith that you know especially when you're starting to wake up and, and when you're then trying to come out of the JW faith that actually you have been you know you haven't been living your life you haven't mm. been moving forward you're waiting which is essentially all that JWs yep. do is they wait. Yeah. There was another fantastic little detail which I loved, which is, and again, this isn't a spoiler, but at one point um, there's two witnesses on the ministry and they're giving a presentation and one of them's obviously, they're doing their best, but they slightly get a bit derailed because the householder isn't asking the questions they thought they would ask. And the other witness kind of jumps in and saves them and takes over the presentation. And it's yeah. actually, it's a nice little character building moment. It's between the two sisters and the kind of the older sister sort of helps the younger sister out. But not only is it like a nice little character building moment, I think all Jehovah's Witnesses, we've been there when we've been trying to be on the door and a presentation goes a bit off the rails and we start to kind of like panic and worry and what do I do? And then you know, a more experienced witness will kind of save you and help yeah. you out. And that really resonated for me because that's, and again, that's a detail you would only know about if you'd been a Jehovah's Witness in that situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The film has a very, um, it's, it, I think it is quite a stylized film because it's all shot, there's a lot of close-ups. Um, and it's shot in a very, um, it, it's shot in a very kind of like, there's no dramatic sweeping camera moves, but the angles and the shots are all very carefully chosen. And what you end up is a film full of lots of, lots of kitchens, lots of front rooms, uh, lots of closed rooms in the Kingdom Hall. And then there's, on one occasion, they do occasionally use these sweeping outside shots um, to give contrast. And then the film suddenly 
is allowed to kind of breathe, um, I think. And I think that's a wonderful, that's obviously a deliberate choice coming from the filmmaker because he's, he's conveying this attitude of closed in oppressiveness, which um, surrounds the Jehovah's Witnesses. And again, if you're a JW, you don't realize this until you leave how closed in and oppressive the environment is. Um, but that was one that was one kind of aspect of the visual direction and the editing I thought was very very clever and the way that um, Daniel Cocoteo let, lets the camera linger on characters' faces as we see them react. So yeah, that was that that was exactly what I was going to say. It was there. There are so many close up shots yeah. of characters' faces, and I think it's an absolute um, you know uh, it, it demonstrates the the power of the performances, particularly by the three leads. Yeah, um, you know. It's it is that under it's an understated film, mm. but it's the, the the power and the emotion that they convey with these long lingering shots on faces and, and seeing the reactions, the subtle reactions yeah. that are going on. Um, I think it was one of the most powerful parts of the film. It's just that 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 close up on these on these faces of these in, these characters, yeah. and you're trying to you're, you're trying to work out all the way through. What is going on here? What is the motivation that's going on here? How are they feeling? And it's all so much is displayed, not in the words, but in the you know in in the in the faces and in the just the pure acting. Yeah, and it, it kind of brought me on to another point, which is very nice. That this is really this is really the story of these three women, and I think it's there's something nicely there's something nicely poetic about an organisation which does tend to minimise women and kind of have a very a very outdated approach to women that the the window we see into this world these are there are three female you know there are basically three female leads this is their story and, and they carry it and i think that was a nice i don't know a nice sense of poetic justice that uh, because the women treats organ in the organization treats women so badly it was nice to give three female jehovah's witnesses a voice here definitely and what's interesting at the uh, you know uh, daniel um has mentioned in interviews and also mentioned again in the, in his uh, Q and A that was after the film that one of the things that started him on his road to awakening was seeing the way that his mother was treated, um, mm. and that that never sat well with him. Um, and so, in some ways, I don't, you know, maybe that's part of, of of where he was coming from and the story that he wanted to tell. Um, but as you say, it's it, you know there are there are ancillary characters. You know, we see. Um, the way, in a, in a very subtle way, in an understated way, we do see the way that the organisation treats women, and yeah. we see the way that the men treat the women. Um, mm. But it's subtle; it's not overt. Mm. And there was an interesting again I, during the Q and A after. I thought it was fascinating that someone who uh, wasn't a witness, I think, um, um, either a film glower or a journalist, obviously someone who wasn't a witness, uh, she put her hand up and said, "So, are there any female elders?" <laughs> and the and, entire cinema just yeah, started laughing. <laughs> laughing. And it was and it, we weren't laughing at her. It was like it was more because we were like, yeah, th this is this is a huge part of the problem. And it's so obvious if you're not in the religion as to what the answer should be. But the other th interesting thing is then she said, Well, the reason I'm asking this is it seems to me that the face of this religion is always women. It's always women that I see on the carts. It's always women who are calling around on me. And and so I'm surprised that because women seem to be the people who are always put forward, that they're not in actually in control in the background, or that they don't have more control. And that had never, I had never thought of that before. And this is one of the examples I was going to bring out that maybe this is like why it's so useful to have this film because it allows people who are outside the religion to have a window in and get their reactions. Is that yeah? Because it is mostly the, the the women who do the witness work, the actual preaching work. And uh, so they, well, are. They, they are a large army, yeah. as someone commented yeah. in, in the Q and A. Um, and I think it's a, you know it, it it demonstrates I think the the attitude of the organisation is that they want uh, women to give, and they you know they they value women in so much as what they can give to the preaching work, but they don't give them anything back in return. They want yeah. all the effort and all the devotion and all the obedience, but they don't hold up anything from their side of the bargain. So one of the other things I enjoyed about this is that this film does not, um, this film is, I think I tweeted, tweeted something like this after seeing it, is it's a film that is absolutely very, very scathing and critical of Watchtower's cruel policies. But this is not a film that demonizes or mocks individual Jehovah's Witnesses. 
In fact, one of the reasons this film is so powerful is this film really does care about its JW characters. Um, this film, you know what I mean? The, the, the experiences and the lives of the mother, Ivana, <clears throat> and the two daughters, uh, Louisa and Alex, the film really does care about them and actually really cares about all the people around them as well. Um, and, and I found it very... I really appreciated that because I personally have a similar uh, viewpoint in that I'm very scathing and critical of the religion's organization and the cruelty of its policies. But I have a you know, deep love and compassion for individual Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and I was very grateful to see that the film really did, from, my, from what I could see, really shared that approach, that it's, it's exposing the cruelty of shunning. And the reason it's cruel is because it's showing the damage that it does to people, to characters who we care about by seeing them on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's a very non-judgmental film. Um, it would be it would be very easy to make these people into caricatures of mm. themselves. You know, to to really kind of and this is I suppose what I mean mean or what I meant when I mentioned earlier. This is not a sensationalist film. This isn't some big Hollywood blockbuster that's trying to, you know, blow this into, you know, a, a Hollywood film. Um, it, it's looking at these characters and it's looking at all the grey. It's yeah. demonstrating that, you know, whilst the organisation tries to make things black and white, and that's what they do. They try to say, if you're not with us, you're against us. You know, if you if you don't follow the rules, then you're out. You're mm. either in or you're out. And what this film do, does really, really well, I think, is demonstrate that actually real life is a million shades of grey. And mm. no one person is one thing. You know, people can be, on the one hand, going along or, or trying to go along with the, with the organisation's policies, but that doesn't mean that they're not a human being and that they don't feel the pain and the agony that those policies cause. And I think that's something else which is very powerful about it is that I think a Jehovah's Witness who watched this, they would struggle to point out what was incorrect or wrong. Mm. Now, what they might be able to say is, well, you're, you're only portraying the bad side, but then you'd be say, they would be acknowledging by, by saying that, that there is a bad side. Um, it's very hard. I mean, I don't think any Jehovah's Witness could watch those events unfold the way they do in apostasy and say that wouldn't happen. And if they're really honest, they'll probably say, yeah, I know of cases where that has happened. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think this is one of the very, very powerful, this is why it's a powerful film, because it is literally just presenting events as they are, you know, according to Jehovah's Witness policies, it presents um, JW saying things they, they say on record, things that mm. the, um, the literature says on record. So it's not possible for a Jehovah's Witness to watch this film and say it's apostate lies because there's absolutely no way, nowhere, nowhere does it actually present anything that's, that's not in their own publications or that they won't have seen with their own eyes or possibly gone through. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, that as an ex-JW watching it, I was very, very uh, appreciative of that because... One of my um, one of my sort of principles, whenever I'm doing activism, whenever I'm um, talking on you know these podcasts or in articles that I've written or I'm talking to people online, my the, the, the line I always come back to is it's bad enough. The truth about it is bad enough. Let's not give the organisation an out by sensationalising mm. and making things up. Because as soon as you set one toe out of line, that's what JWs and the organisation will point to and say, well, that's clearly inaccurate and therefore it's all apostate lies. Yeah. And it, it's something that you know I'm always really, really careful of. And, and I've said quite a few times, don't make things worse by saying things that aren't true. You know, it's bad enough as it is. Mm. And so I really appreciated the fact that I, I don't think there was anything in this film that I could point to and say, that's not accurate. Mm. Um, you know, it, it was from start to finish, as an XJW, I could see every single event, you know, some of the events and some of the, the things that happened. I've been there. I've seen that. I've seen those yeah. things said. Uh, and so, you know, all the way through, the accuracy of it doesn't give. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I, I think. I think. I'm, I'm not sure how many JWs will actually watch this. I'm sure many will watch it in secret. Mm. Um, but like you say, there's nothing that they will be able to point to and say, "Well, that's clearly inaccurate," and therefore throw the whole film out. There isn't yeah. anything like that. It's absolutely spot on. And it's also quite fair because we do see um, we do see little glimpses of aspects of JW life which are quite fun. So, for example, at one point we see a party. 
And in some ways it's a bit cringy because it's very JW. <laughs> They're all sort of sat there, you know, a bit dressed up weirdly. And it's a bit, it's a bit awkward and it's a bit strange, but they're all clearly having fun. And that's a nice touch as well, because being a JW, although the film, the film is dealing with events in, um, in the lives of these three women, which, you know, are going wrong. So naturally their story and when we're with them, there's a lot of drama. But, you know, I, I lived a lot of my JW life without encountering that. And they do show you snippets of that um, from people who aren't currently going through these specific problems who are, you know, they're all getting together and having fun. And they're, you know, there's, there's a laugh and they're having a chat and they're down the pub and all this stuff. So it's a very nice way. I think the film also acknowledges that um, it is possible if you're a JW, you won't, or not every second of your life is going to be, you know, sheer misery going through this. This doesn't minimize the harm that's done, but it's also, I think, it, like I said, it's a very balanced and even-handed movie, showing that there are some characters who aren't currently going through these painful yeah. things. And they are kind of like, in, in their own strange and kind of somewhat limited world, they are kind of having fun and they're, you know, they're having a nice time. And again, I thought that that was a nice balance touched because it, it, it tallies very much with my own experience of being a JW, that it wasn't wall-to-wall misery. Um, you know, I did have friends and I did have fun and I did go on holiday and it, it, that, it, that tallies very much with my memories of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I know, I know the scene that you're referring to and, and looking back and again, it, it really did make me smile because I've been to a million and one parties like that. You know, the, the, the communal eating and um, the, the sort of introducing people awkwardly and then, you know, Everyone sort of sat on the sofa chatting and, yeah. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the, the chat is always, you know, organisation related. And, it, 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 yeah, it, it was yet another thing that sort of drew me in. And, and I, I could, I knew it was spot on because I've been to parties like that. And I'm sure, you know, many XJWs have. And like you say, it's, it's important that, that, I think it's important that the film does contain those elements because, again, one of the things that, that JWs, um, if they were to see this, you know, something like this, you know, they might try and level. Well, you know, that's not what it's like. I have fun. I went to, we have parties and we drink and, you know, we have fun and we get to, we have get togethers as they were called, yeah. um, you know, for, for Christian fellowship and association. Um, <laughs> and, and putting that in is like acknowledging that. And it kind of takes away that objection. You know, that's not something that they can use to object to this film because it mm. demonstrates that there are good times, you know, and, and, and I suppose that is also the thing that is um, one of the things that's so difficult about being a witness is that when things are going right, everything's great. You know, you have this incredible support network around you and you have people who would literally do anything for you. You know, the generosity of spirit within witnesses when everything is going great is second to none. Mm -hmm. The problem is when things don't go well. And, you know, yeah. it's that old adage that you actually know who your friends are in the bad times. It's the ones that stick around in the bad times that are your true friends. And this, yeah. uh, this, this film um, portrays, you know, incredibly well what actually happens when things start to go wrong. Now, one of the reviews I read, what I thought was really fascinating, it was, it was talking about all the terminology that the characters use. Um, and one of the interesting things is that the film doesn't stop and explain what all these terms mean because the characters wouldn't do that. They already know what it means, um, which is interesting. One of the, apparently one of the things with good writing is if characters are stopping to explain things that the characters would already know, you know you've got a bad writer. And mm. Daniel's characters don't do that. Um, but one of the reviewers actually said it, one of the things they found fascinating was all the strange, almost, I think they used the word science fiction-like language that these characters sometimes use. I thought that was fascinating. I mean, what did you think of the, the terminology and the reactions some people have had to it? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So there's a, and it's it's in the it's in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. But um, one of, there's a new elder in the, the congregation and introduces himself to two of the main characters and he uses the phrase, you know, I'm a new elder here. I'm serving where the need is great. And as soon as I heard that in the film, it was a it was a cringe moment of oh my god, you just listen to yourself. Um, <laughs> Have you heard yourself? Um, but like you say, it was it was it's those kind of um, those kind of phrases that for XJWs watching the film uh, and JWs, you know, it, it it demonstrates that that reality and that realism because you know we all know that know that phrase we can use that phrase. But also then for people who aren't who don't have a, a JW background, it demonstrates I think this 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 point that they do have their own language. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, when you have your own language, that in itself is a way of separating yourself from people who don't speak that language. So it's another mm. way of keeping themselves separate from the world is by having this own language that only they can understand. And there were a few times throughout the film where, um, you know, they were talking about going on the carts um, mm. and, uh, you know, and th there was a reference to 1975 as well, which I yeah. thought was really interesting. And, and again, there was in, in Hollywood blockbuster movies, that would have been some great reveal, you know, yeah. <gasps> 1975. And then they would have talked about it. And then it would have been like the turning point of the movie and la, la, la. But they just mentioned it and then moved on. Yeah. And it, it, it gives an idea, I think, it, it, it demonstrates how to outsiders, this religion is increasingly so much more opaque. As you go through the film, you realise how opaque it is. Because unless you're in the club, a lot of the stuff mm. they're talking about, you just don't know. You, you don't understand. Um, and it, it keeps up that separation. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting is it drew that to me draws policy, uh, uh, draws parallels to Scientology. Um, since following Scientology, I've been um, fascinated how similar the, the Scientologists have their own language as well. They talk about things being off policy. They talk about suppressive persons. They talk about um, they very much have their own entire sweep of lingo that when you can hear them talking sometimes and it, it is very I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds like I've just walked into a sci-fi movie where everyone's got mm. a different culture. And I think that's interesting to look for these. There are many parallels that get drawn now between the Scientologists and the Jehovah's Witnesses and other, other groups like that. And so it's interesting to see commonalities in behavior um, with, with, with the way language is used. Moving well, in on, cults. Well, in yeah. cults, exactly. Exactly. And moving on to another point, I, the portrayal of the elders is something I really wanted to touch on. Um, and we're going to deep dive this in the spoiler section, but we can discuss it a little bit without spoiling details. As you said, we get there's, there's, there's one new elder that we meet called Stephen, and we do meet other elders during the course of the movie. And I actually, I, I wanted to put my hand up and ask Daniel during the, the Q&A. I mean, someone else beat me to it with a similar question. But how did you get the elders to be like uh, how did you coach the actors that well because they were unnervingly accurate in terms of the different types of elders i met through my jw life um for example stephen uh is a very young elder and his you know his clothes are a bit too big for him and he looks very much in some they, they do it very well in that the way that um the actor robert ems portrays him sometimes stephen comes across like he's a a lost little young boy who is a bit confused and then other times he's very much He's very much the kind of the spiritual enforcer character, but you can tell he's he wants to help, and you can tell his heart is in the right place. Um, he, but he's kind of he's on the one hand he wants to help, but on the other hand he has to be this corporate policy enforcer almost. And then you've got other elders who are there. There's one I think I don't know which elder he was from the credits, um, but there's one who's clearly the, the coordinator of the body of elders who is you, you, on occasion you just want to punch this guy. Because he is um, he is so detached and doesn't really care, and then at other points he's incredibly inappropriate, and then he's 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 the, the he's the elder you don't want to be anywhere near in a judicial committee because you know he's going to roll on in and just destroy things. Um, what did you think of the way the elders were portrayed? Uh, yeah, very similar thoughts to you. So so again, it, I think you know, as we were watching all these characters, we're, we're all sort of referencing, right? Yeah, I knew an elder like that. I knew an elder like that. Um, so the young character, Stephen, as you say, it did make me laugh. You know, he had a, a shirt that was too big for him. It was gappy around the collar. And we've all, you know, we all know that type of elder, like the very sort of young, eager, um, you know, trying to be a little bit cool, um, but, mm. but just failing utterly. Um, and then, yeah, then there are these, these older elders that we meet and um, what I thought was was really interesting about the older elders, which which kind of struck me, was their dismissiveness. Yeah, their their dismissal of people's genuine concerns and feelings. You know, that the fact that they they weren't to be swayed by anything that anybody, particularly a woman, could mm. say to them. Um, it was almost like when a woman was speaking to them, they weren't actually listening or, or taking on board what she was saying it was simply well let's placate her and then dismiss whatever it is that she had to say um no. and certainly i think we all know elders like that um and and i think 
it, it's one of those things that that maybe as they go through their their sort of time being an elder that only gets more and more you know they 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 become comfortable in this world where essentially their word is law their yeah. word goes and what they think despite any evidence to the contrary what they think goes and it, it was almost like the younger elder hadn't quite got to that point yet and he was still feeling all the feels mm. you know he he could see you know how, how painful um, some of the situations were whereas the older elders i almost got the feeling that because they've been so entrenched for so long they've reached this point where nothing nothing really um bothered them you yeah. know not people's feelings not people's thoughts not people's points of view nothing because they were safe and secure in the knowledge that it didn't matter what anybody else said because their word was law yeah and i think i i mean my own experience of elders was i, I knew some incredibly kind-hearted and you know in many ways very capable men who honestly were trying to do the best for the flock despite you know being caught up in this job that really was you know the crazy rules and regulations that made that impossible and i knew some absolutely terrible people who should never have been allowed to shepherd spinach let alone human being um and i think that the the betrayal of the elders again i think is very even-handed because it would have been very easy to make them all these big ogres who were all awful and rah, 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 rah. Mm. and actually they got much closer to the truth in that we've got the Stephen character who you know without going into spoiler detail clearly is trying to do his best and genuinely cares about the situation and then you've also got the older ones is they're not they're not darth vader and emperor palpatine they're just kind of useless and up themselves and not really interested in the situation um and you know a bit pompous and not really connect you know not really people who should have that kind of authority but they're not hannibal lecter either and i thought that was a very again the portrayal of the elders was very well observed and struck me as being very true to life yeah i agree So, Alice, so I think we're actually approaching the end of everything we can talk about without starting to spoil plot points. Um, and <clears throat> I'm the, I know that might be frustrating if you were hoping it, us to hear talk a little bit more about it, but really I, I don't think we can go any further before we start talking about actual events in the movie. So before we go into the spoiler territory where here be dragons and you must abandon all hope before ye enter here, is there anything else you'd just like to say about the film? Yeah, I think I think the other thing that um, that I thought is really worth mentioning and also bearing in mind um, for, for all of us, you know, we've gone to see this incredibly professional um, piece of filmmaking, and it, and apart from all the XJW stuff, it is an incredible piece of filmmaking. Yeah, um, and it's, you know, in its it, own right, it's just yeah. it, if it was about a different religion, it would be just as powerful. It's 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 an incredibly skillful work. Absolutely. But I think also the thing to bear in mind, and, and this is something that came out in the Q&A after the, um, after the, the film um, with Daniel, and he's been very open and he said in interviews that, you know, he, he still has a, a good relationship with his mum. And he said that again on, on Friday night. But somebody asked him a question. Uh, I can't remember the exact question that was asked, but it was something about, you know, what do you think your family or your, your mum Will, will say about the film or will think about the film or, or some, some kind of question like that. And it was a moment when it really kind of brought home to me that this isn't just a film to him. Mm. You know, this is something that is also personal when thinking about the impact that it might have on his personal life. Um, and I think his answer to that question was something along the lines of, um, I haven't really thought about that yet. I'll deal with it when I, when I come to it. Yeah. Um, and it just reminded me that, that in making this film, you know, he, he's not just making a, a, an incredible film, but he's also putting a lot of his own personal stuff into it. And he's putting some of his personal stuff on the line as well. And um, it was a really touching moment for me um, to just to, to remind, you know, we've all got skin in the game. Everybody's got skin in the game. When you're, when you're an XJW, you, you never know what particular thing it might be. And this is certainly something that I have with, uh, with my parents, that I never know exactly what it might be that would push them over the edge into actively shunning me. At the moment, yeah. as, as our listeners will know, um, I am in a very lucky situation that my parents still talk to me and I have a very good relationship with my parents. But there's always this kind of fine line of what, what would I have to do for that to change? 
And so just hearing Daniel speak so openly and so honestly about that um, really, really quite touched me that, you know, this isn't just a project to him. This is something that could have an impact on his day to day life. Um, and so, you know, from my part, it makes me even more grateful and appreciative uh, of what he's done and what he's put together here. Um, and it really sort of that moment really grounded it for me um, yeah. when he answered like that. And I, um, I'm following on from that. I think he also revealed at the Q and A um, that it took him. He's been he's been out of the witnesses for like 15 years, and he said he left after university, after college. But it was only recently, really recently, he was even able to sort of even broach looking at this script and looking at this subject. So it took him that long to feel comfortable about it. So it, you know, and that I think underscores how many ex Jehovah's Witnesses feel is going going through that barrier where you can even feel comfortable mm. talking about this experience. Um, it's it's he, almost sorry. Go on. No, no. After you. <laughs> and he 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 actually mentioned in the in the Q and A that when he was, um, you know, preparing the actors for you know the the, the different mm. various scenes, he was showing them, um, you know, uh, videos from JW Org and, and showing them different bits, and that felt difficult for him. That felt wrong yeah. for him. You know, there still was this kind of um, you know feeling that he was doing a bad thing. By, by showing this stuff uh, to outsiders, you know, in the negative connotation, as in this is yeah. the kind of bullshit that, that you know, gets <laughs> thrown about. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a really nice example of, you know, you can be 15 years out and making a film, a very public, very amazing film about this organisation, and yet you can still, in your heart, feel guilty of, you know, being... And apostate and, and openly criticizing the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's just two two things I thought would be fun to touch on before we move into the spoiler zone, um, and they're relating to little details about how this film was made. One of them is at one point you see what looks like a JW.org video. If you've been watching JW Broadcasting, um, which can be difficult to do, but also can be hilarious, um, you'll have seen that they 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 put together some pretty pretty cringeworthy, awful videos. And at one point, it looks like the movie's featuring one of those, but I'm quite familiar with the, the, the publication they put out, and I, I haven't seen this one. And this, obviously, Daniel you know, confirmed in the Q&A. They, they shot that in the style of a JW.org video, mm. but couldn't use an actual one. And one of the things I was going to ask him was, like, you know, how do you, how do you put yourself, in, as a filmmaker, how do you put yourself into the mentality of making a deliberately awful piece of film footage? Because it really yeah. does hit all the kind of overblown, cheesy awfulness that those um, those JW broadcasting videos have. And coming from a filmmaker who's clearly, his own film sensibility is very kind of subtle and very kind of, um, very, um, has a lot of verisimilitude. Verisimilitude? Yeah, verisimilitude. <laughs> Get your dictionaries out, people. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I am, I am, I'm making up the words now. Um, but yeah, he's like a very subtle filmmaker. So I was, I would have, I was curious to ask him and I didn't get a chance how he got into the mindset of making something so gaudy and awful. Um, but what was, what was really interesting on that point as well is that he was talking about that in the Q and A, um, and, and explained that, yeah, obviously they hadn't been able to use, um, mm. a, uh, you know, a, a, a real film. And so he had to, you know, write one and film one essentially. And he, he said, uh, I think we got it pretty spot on at which point the auditorium started laughing and everybody started clapping. Yeah. Exactly. So I think all the, all the XWs, all the XJWs in the uh, auditorium were like, yep, absolutely. That yeah. was spot on. That's the, that's the level of, of bullshit and crap that comes out of this organization. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, and I found this really funny, is at one point there's a talk given. And this talk is actually verbatim, word for word, a real talk that was given by a Watchtower representative at a convention. And what they found out is they could, they could do this, they could use this talk word for word as long as they credited the brother who actually gave it in the credits of the film Apostasy. And if they did that, there was nothing Watchtower could do about it. So if you, when you watch the film, watch to the end and you'll see there's, they, they, they credit the brother and the, the location where he gave it for the talk that's used at the end. And it's, it's verbatim word for word, apparently, which is just <laughs> so 
funny. So it's like special thanks to, and you know, <laughs> I wonder if he'll ever find out. <laughs> oh, I don't, I, I'm just like I'm, I'm trying to see if he's in the IMDb credits. Actually, I'm just I'm looking up the IMDb page for this just out of curiosity. <laughs> To see if it's in there. If I find it, I'll let you guys know. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting detail. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when it's when it's he's made aware that he's made it into an apostate film and he's credited <laughs> with thanks. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if they really wanted to rub it in, they could have put him in like additional screenwriting by, but that probably that probably wouldn't be technically accurate and probably <laughs> a little bit cruel. Um, but yeah, I thought that was such a funny detail. But yeah, apparently they had to be very careful with what they did and didn't use. And again, in, in interviews, I've heard um, uh, Daniel Cocteau say they obviously had one of the advantages of making a, a film like this is that you have access to a legal team who can tell you, yeah, you can do this, but you can't do this. But if you change it this much, then you can do that. Um, but yeah, so I think I think we've come to the end of everything we can talk about without blowing the plot points. So warning from here on in, you're coming in at your own risk. So prepare for spoilers in five, four. Three, two, <laughs> one. So thank you ever so much for listening to our non-spoiler discussion of apostasy. The next episode, the discussion of apostasy with spoilers, uh, will be up shortly. I'm editing it as we speak, and I'm hoping to have it up within a day of uh, this episode going up. So stay tuned. In the meantime, thanks again so much for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there's loads of ways you can support it. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Podbeam or whichever particular um, podcast software you um, you listen with. Um, you can subscribe and like to um, boost us up the ratings. You can share this podcast with your family and friends on social media. Uh, if you want to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon slash Covert Fade, starting for as little as uh, $1 a month, and you can get all sorts of cool rewards uh, as a thank you from us. And also a big shout out to our new sponsor, Jennifer. Thank you for sponsoring us. That's so sweet. You can follow me on Twitter at Covert Fade, and you can follow Alice Cheshire at The Alice Chesh. You can find more of my work on uh, jwsurvey.org, where I tend to write frequent articles. Uh, and you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, Covert Fade, which has um, episodes of the forwardcast, but is also increasingly going to have some special little extras on there as well. So um, check us out and subscribe there as well. So thank you very much for listening um, and stay tuned because uh, the spoiler discussion of apostasy is on the way.